Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, we're really grateful, again, to be together. We're seeing some of you kind of come back and slowly filling up, which is really encouraging. For those of you watching online, hey, thanks for tuning in. You could be doing a lot of other things this morning. We know that. Maybe if you're like me, you have a list of the many things that you, you have to do. Responsibilities. How many of you are like, I got to cut the grass? How many like, I have weeds. I hate weeds. I have, uh, we, we have all these things, but you know, thanks, bro. Uh, but you know that part of worship is saying that in the midst of all these other things we had to do, you set time aside to be here. Hey, thanks, Michael. Uh, you set time aside to be here, and the Bible calls that worship, really. If, you, if you're not sure about how you're worshiping or how you're living your life, just look at the things that you prioritize. That'll always help you. The things that go first in your calendar, those are the things that set the tone of your life. And part of what we try to do here as a church is to remind you to set this time first. There's a reason that the earliest Christians called Sunday the Lord's Day. There's a reason for that. They want it to be, this is the day that shapes and defines everything that we are. Helps us understand what we're called to do, what we're called to be. And today we're actually talking about a topic that has to do with a lot of the pressures we feel in our life. I'm going to talk about success a little bit. Success is a word some of you maybe have heard. And before I do that, I want to tell you about how I think of success in some ways. I think of success in an interesting way in these next two weeks because I'm watching the Olympics. Any of you watching Olympics? How many of you are already frustrated that every channel has Olympics on it? Any of you? Like, I can't handle this. How many of you appreciate hard work? And so you like the, you like the Olympics? <laughs> So you got that. Okay. Uh, you watch the Olympics and you think about, like, in the next few weeks, all of us are going to be bombarded, whether you like this or not, with these athletes and what it means to be in the Olympics. And hopefully you're, you're cheering on uh, Canada and some Quebec athletes that are also, you know, in the Olympics. And I often think of the Olympics because I think of the early church and Christians who are in a world where so many people believe different things about life. And one of those things that's very, very common in the Bible is these Olympics. Like, the, the Bible actually uses words that have to do with being an athlete. It's a very, very beautiful way that the Bible is so relevant even when it's being written. And if you've watched the Olympics, you might not know this, all Olympic athletes make an Olympic oath before the Olympics. Maybe you've seen this or you know it. You can go to the slide. The Olympic oath is basically an oath from ancient Greek times when the Olympics started that athletes would not cheat. That all of the Olympics are, are kind of based on this idea. And the judges and the referees of certain events, they also have to make a certain oath to not be kind of tricked into, like, picking one athlete over, over another. I mean, if only soccer teams did this, it would be really good for soccer, too. Yeah, some of you? Okay. So th this idea of the Olympic oath in ancient Greece happened oftentimes next to the statue of Zeus. The, great, the greatest god in the Greek world was Zeus. And the athletes were meant to kind of make an oath that they would not cheat, thinking that they would one day have to give an account to the gods if they were cheaters. And so Zeus, the greatest god of the Greek 
pantheon of gods, is there. And if you see a picture of Zeus, you know, he has this big long beard, and he has like another, another god that sits on his knee, and that's the, god, the goddess Nike. If you're wearing shoes, you're welcome. Uh, you know, it comes from the goddess of victory, you know, and, and so there's this idea. But all of the athletes knew that the gods of the ancient Greeks were cheaters themselves. This is the fascinating thing about the ancient world, that everybody who made an oath to Zeus knew that Zeus was a liar and a cheater. He was one of the gods that slept with other gods. He's one of the gods that tricked humans to do certain things. The gods played with humans. The gods manipulated humanity. The gods were there to be feared, but nobody wanted to be like the gods. You just feared the gods. And then a small little community of people who start to claim that there's a god who calls us to be like him emerges. The small community that the Romans don't even pay attention to, a bunch of Jewish followers, and then all of a sudden this, this group called Christians, they start to worship this Jesus, and they start to tell one another that our God is not just a God that we're afraid of. Our God is a God that gives us the strength to be like Him. He's a God worth following. He's a God worth imitating, that in that world, Christianity is born and is birthed, and we take that for granted all the time. That Christianity begins in a world where so many people have so many other options. And let me just tell you this morning, all of you have a lot of other options. Of stuff you can believe. Of stuff you can put your trust in. And so this morning I want to talk about how we still live in a world where we're tempted to think about what are we going to put our trust in? What kind of people are we going to be? And we've been in a series to try to encourage you. It's helping me to think about things in a new way, to think about what it means to define our lives, not by success, not by just winning, not by how the world works, but by defining our lives in a different way. And we've been doing this by looking at a series and a topic that has to do with maturity. Maturity is this biblical category that has to do that we want to be people worth imitating. We want to be people, like they've mentioned, that others can watch and they can follow and learn what it means to love Jesus because they see us learning to love Jesus that they can learn how to trust God because they see us trusting God, that they can learn how to experience God's peace because they see us learning to experience God's peace. And we're doing this and we're trying to think about what it means that we would be people that are mature. Now, maturity, you kind of know if you've been in the series, maturity means a lot of things to different people. I mean, we live in a culture that's trying to make sense of that. You know, for most of our culture, maturity is like, okay, how old is someone when they can drive? You know, we, gotta, we need a date, we need an age, right? So maturity kind of means different things in the culture, but in the Bible, maturity means something much deeper than that. It means to be those who are formed in such a way that we become spiritually mature and other people watch our lives, and you ready for this? If you're taking notes, you want to write this down, that out of our mature lives, fruit is growing in a sense. There's things that people see in our lives that they're like, I want some of that growing in my life. I want to be that way. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we never make mistakes. That doesn't mean we don't struggle but it means that that's the, that's the direction our lives lean. We lean in that direction. That's what we want. This took a long time for me to learn this. I remember when I was just young and I was learning about God, maybe you're kind of new to church and the Bible, I struggled with this a lot because I, I really thought, okay, to be a Christian is to, to say a prayer, to believe in God, to get a ticket to heaven, to wait to die, to be in heaven. Like I, that was like as simple as my mind got when I was really, really young. I thought I better go to church and if I don't go to church, I'll be in trouble and maybe I could do the right things, and when I die, I'll be in heaven. How many of you have heard kind of the version of being a Christian that way, right? It's very, very common. And you know why it's common? Because it's very simple. It's like the shortcut way of learning about Christianity. The problem is, it, if, if you can believe that as long as you never read your Bible. If you never read the Bible, that version of Christianity makes sense for a long time. 
And then you start, you read your Bible and you realize, wait a second, uh, you know, I think there's more to this thing. You know, you're like, no, don't worry, don't give us stuff to do, that's silly. You know, like just, I got a ticket. I and nowadays, you, this happens all the time. You meet somebody, they're not into church, they're not into faith, they're not into anything. You ask them, do you believe in God? Guess what they'll say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, what's that God life? Wow, he's, he's big. He's there. He's up there, somewhere. It's God. And you know, but this is God. Does he demand anything of you? No, no, no. Just be good and be friendly. Yeah, okay. You can see so many people, that's how they, they're just like, I believe enough about God and I, when I die, I'll go to heaven. Let me tell you that that will work until you decide to become mature. Because when you become mature and you begin to grow in this spiritual maturity, you begin to read and to learn and to grow and you realize, wait a second, the story of Jesus calls us to something much deeper. The story of Jesus that we read about in the Bible calls us to grow and to want to live lives that this, this spiritual kind of fruit, this language of this fruit is growing in us. And I want to show you one church in particular that uses this language to talk about following Jesus. He's a faithful Christian. Some of you have never heard his name. This is what it says in the book of Colossians. Paul writes to a church, he says, in the same way, the gospel, this good news about Jesus, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. I mean, you start reading your Bible, you get to this section of your Bible, like, wait a second, how come nobody names their kid Epaphras? How, that, that doesn't happen. That's such a beautiful name that Paul says, hey, hey, there's a brother that you know, right? He's been so faithful. He didn't believe kind of like that you just kind of have a ticket to heaven and you die and you go to heaven. He was a servant of the Lord. And he sacrificed and he came to you and he shared with you that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. And you know what we hear? That fruit is growing. That the story of Jesus and the message of Jesus is growing around the world in your midst. People are starting to say no to the ways of the world. They're starting to let go of the way you define your life by the world. And they're starting to say yes to the ways of Jesus. I'm going to read the rest of this letter of Colossians, and you see what that looks like. We've been trying to make this very, very simple because it can be a difficult topic, and for some of you, maybe it's like summertime. I hope it's not too much thinking at this church. I hope I don't have to take notes. It's too intense, you know? So we've been doing this really, really simple. We've been giving you just one little section of the Bible, and we've been going through the fruit that are called the fruit of the Spirit, and we're picking one at a time every week throughout the summer and saying, God, how are we doing with this fruit of the Spirit? You'll see, you just see a list of them. You can go to Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Just go to the slide with the fruit. Here we go. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, which we're going to look at today, gentleness, and self-control. Which one of these is difficult for you? All of them. You're not going to make it, guy. You're not going to make it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's the honest answer. At some points in our lives, it's all of them. You know, I was talking to somebody before the service. Uh, this week in particular, I felt this, this challenge in my life I was preparing of just a sense of bitterness because of things that I'm feeling going through. And I thought, luckily, I'm not preaching on kindness this week. But all of us know that these are fruit that don't come naturally to us. The Bible says that these are fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. It's God's work to produce in us this type of fruit. And he does this by making us aware of things that we have to pay attention to. He does this, the Bible uses language of pruning, of correcting, of gently encouraging, of loving us, of strengthening us. There's all kinds of different things. And this morning, I want to talk about faithfulness. This is one of the most beautiful 
words in the Bible you think about. When you think about faithfulness, we sang about it. And, and I, I just take a minute and think about what comes to your mind when you think of faithfulness. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a very simple definition for this word. It's to be full of faith. Right? Faith, full. And the word faith means to trust. To be filled with a trust in God that God keeps his promises. So if you want to remember faithfulness, it's a big word. If somebody asks you, hey, you went to church? That's weird. But if you think, what did you learn about? Oh, we learned about faithfulness. It's a big word. But what it means is that there's a God that Christians claim keeps his promises. And then when you trust this God, you are filled with faith. The word faith often can mean trust. You are filled with a sense of putting your trust in this God. That you put your trust in God no matter what. Now, when I was really, really young, I would say that I learned about faithfulness mostly as something that God is. How many of you would agree? Like, I would say, we sing songs about God's faithfulness. We have hymns. We're like, I love that. You know, I remember being really, really young, and people from my family, they would go to church, and, you know, they would, they would, I would go to the church that had some of the flags and the raising hands and the bit of the people yelling. Like, they would say amen. They would talk back to the preacher, not like some of you. They're like, I'm too hot to talk or to breathe or to look at, I'm not even going to look at Dom. Uh, but, but it was like, and so people would be like, oh, God is so faithful. And people say, amen, amen, I love that, amen, yes. Or you hear someone in the back, you're like, praise the Lord. You're like, hey, what's up? All right, praise the Lord. One of those churches, right? And every time we left the church, I remember my family talking about, oh, God's going to be so faithful. He's good to us. He provides for us. And wouldn't it be great if church just stopped there? All of us love a God who's on our side. Anybody you meet, even if you're an atheist, if you get to the point where you're going to believe in God one day, you're like, okay, if I'm going to believe in God, I want to believe in a God that's going to really be faithful to me. He's going to do things that I want. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide. He's faithful. That's what I want. Even if you had to make God up, that's the kind of God you would want. But then we never move to the next place, which is that a God that is faithful calls those who've experienced his faithfulness to be faithful back. Everybody's like, let's pray now and leave because now it's going to get painful. Yes, it will. I'm warning you now. That we love the idea of God being faithful because we sing about this. The Psalms. Let's think about this Psalm. I love this Psalm. It talks about God's faithfulness. It says this. David says, I, David, do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and of your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the, from the great assembly. This is David writing in the Psalms. He says, faithfulness is not just something that God is. It's something we celebrate when we're together. We sing about it. We talk about it. We have a testimony. Like if we had time, we'd get a microphone and say, anybody have a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness? Maybe one of you courageous people would get up. You're like, I do. Come on up. Let's go. And you'd come up to the front and you share your testimony. I want to embarrass you, make you nervous. But if you had a chance, what would you say about how God has been faithful to you? How he's cared for you when you didn't even know how to ask for care how he provided for you when you weren't sure how he was going to provide, how he's brought us through a season, I think of COVID and the painful things that we felt in our relationships, that God has been faithful. The earliest Christians and even the Jewish people knew that faithfulness at its core begins with God. God is always the first one to be faithful. Maybe some of you are here and just quietly there's some things that you're carrying and you need God to remind you that he's faithful, that he keeps his promises, that he hears your prayers, that he loves you even though you feel things are very broken, that he can heal your marriage even though you don't know how it's going to get healed. God is faithful. 
keeps his promises. And he begins, the category of faithfulness in the Bible begins with God. That's what God is. Now, those of us who've experienced this faithfulness now are called to now live lives where we, too, want to be faithful. Now, this is a difficult thing to do, a challenging thing to do, but let me just explain to you two different ways that the Bible talks about faithfulness outside of God's faithfulness, which none of us can compare to. The Bible talks about a kind of faithfulness that we experience in daily life. Remember, to be faithful is to be, to be someone who's trustworthy, to put your trust in someone. Some translations will use commitment or loyalty. There's a faithfulness there. You don't even have to be a Christian to experience this kind of faithfulness. You know, if you have a good friend, you say, hey, I'm going to be at the airport. It's a snowstorm. No matter what happens, will you pick me up? They say, yes, bro, I'm going to be there. Right? You have one of those friends, think about that friend, and no matter how bad it gets, you know that this friend is going to be there. Okay? I used to have a friend like that. They're not my friends anymore. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but there's, idea, there's a faithfulness. There's a, a relational faithfulness that we feel. We're meant to live in a world connected to trusting and being faithful, to keeping our words with people. Good relationships work this way. Now, the reason this is so important is because we are all made in God's image. Because we're made in God's image, we flourish almost in a human way when we experience faithful trust with one another. This is not the way God is faithful. God is faithful over and above that. I'm just talking about basic trust that we experience. We all need this to thrive. We all need this to grow. We all need this to mature. A few weeks ago, I read this article about relationships and how important commitment and trust is in relationships. It wasn't written by like, a, a Christian person, but I was thinking about this idea of faithfulness, what it means that all of us were created to flourish in faithful contexts. All of us. Think about it. We live in a world that says flourishing means to be successful, and the Bible says, no, you flourish best when you experience faithfulness, when you experience a deep sense of trust and commitment, when things change and you stick to it. This is the hard thing today in our culture, right? Because we feel like I'm faithful as long as a better option doesn't show up, right? I'm committed to this as long as it doesn't get too hard. I'm committed to this, and we're left with, God, there's something in our culture that we're going to need your help to experience faithfulness in a new way. Let me just show you a really painful slide of what it means to think about faithfulness, not even in a biblical sense, but in a general way where God's goodness has wired us all to flourish in a faithful context. This is a slide that has to do with fathers and the commitment of fathers in homes and parents. It's very, very painful, so I'm warning you in advance. And, and it's written by actually a professor who teaches on religion and, and culture and flourishing. He's the director of the Center of Study of, of Human Flourishing. And he talks about like the idea of fatherless homes, the impact of fatherless homes. He says 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway teens fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavior disorder, fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherless homes. Let me just say something. This is so painful to, to read about. Because I know many of you who are here, and you maybe lost your father when you were young. Or there's a difficult relationship, and fathers step out. And it's not just a shaming father session. But it's an image of how even in society... Forget about religion, forget about Christianity. If you just want to pay attention to how we're wired to flourish, we flourish by being in faithful, committed spaces that are safe. And this professor is writing about this, and he keeps writing about one of the things we can do is just help marriages and just stay healthy, stay strong. It'll solve so many of the other issues that we face. So I want to say something so important for us, because it's easy to read this and to be discouraged, like this is the world that we live in. Everything's falling apart. Woe is us. You know, too many Christians talk that way all the time and it needs to stop, that maybe this is the season where spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers step up. 
where we as a church step up and hear the call and hear the pain and are aware of the pain that we see in our society and we say, God, we can never be somebody's father. We can never be somebody's mother. But maybe we can model a different kind of commitment for people. This is a call for some of you maybe who are older and more mature in the faith to step up and say, where can I model commitment and love and faithfulness and encourage someone who maybe is struggling in a season of their life of something that is out of their control, something that's happened to them? I'm going to say something, and I've wrestled with saying this, and I think like, it needs to be said, so I mean, you can take it as you want, but I think we are living in a time where we're seeing the next generation most likely to be the first generation to grow up without spiritual grandparents without a generation of older people who are committed to the life of the church in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 70s, telling stories of God's faithfulness. So the next generation can say, we don't know if we believe that yet. We don't even like church, but that story, tell me more about this God. Tell me more about what that means. We're going to need a revival of, of a commitment to say, God, the world we live in is broken because we didn't take faithfulness seriously enough. And we are wired and made in the image of a God who is faithful. So think about how ironic this is, that if you want to experience success, learn to experience faithfulness. If you want to see things flourish, focus on faithfulness. Focus on this idea of commitment and truth and telling, keeping your word and being present and doing the hard things. Now, again, remember, this is the definition of faithfulness that is a general definition of faithfulness. I know a lot of people who are trying to do this or learning, and they're not even sure about God and religion yet. But I just want to push just a little bit further. And I want to tell you about another kind of faithfulness that the Bible calls us to. It's the kind of faithfulness that has to do how we're faithful in our faith and our belief in God. How we learn to do that. This is a trickier one. And Jesus has the best way to teach us about this. Jesus teaches about this by telling us a parable. Now, if, if you've never read one of Jesus' parables, they're the worst. I'm warning you right now. They're, like, if you're going to have so many questions as I read this parable, you're going to be like, I have a question. I have a question. What about that? What about that? I know they're all going to come up, right? And Jesus has a way of teaching with a parable that makes people kind of, puts them off guard. Like, makes them kind of fall off their chair. Like, whoa, 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 what did he just say? What did he say? So I'm going to read a parable that at every turn of my study this week, I was like, oh, people are going to have so many questions about this. And they're going to have questions about this. So if we had time, put your hand up. I could tell you I don't know the answer to your question. And so we could just keep going. And so this is one of those parables that Jesus is going to share and he's going to talk about this parable by talking about faithfulness. And in this parable, you're going to notice, some of you that are, stay with me, you're going to notice that one of the most important lines of about faithfulness in the Bible exists. That this is the parable where Jesus says, in the end of your life, each one of you, in this room, listening online, on a podcast, each one of you will want to hear God say, good and faithful servant. This is the parable. And it's so funny because growing up, you know, I heard that line all the time until you read the parable and the parable is like, oh my goodness, this is wild. It's so nice to just take that line out and put it on a Hallmark card, right? Put it somewhere. Else. This is beautiful. That's what I want. That at one day, each of us are all moving in the direction where God will say to us, were you successful? No. Were you a good parent? No. Were you good at investing? No. Were you really good at school? Well, those are all good things that you should be. He's going to say, were you faithful? You know what a freedom that is in a world that wants to define us by so many other things? In a world that wants to define us by success, by how smart we are, by how... Uh, God said, I'm not going to ask you any of those things. So stop believing what the world says. I'm going to ask you, were you faithful? And the only way you get to this is by reading this parable. 
Let's pray and go home now. Or let's read the parable. This is what Jesus says. Again, he's talking about the kingdom of God and he gives multiple parables. He says this again. It, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Some of, them, some of the, your translations will say talents. It's, it's a monetary resource. To others, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Okay, this is the, the parable. It should be called the parable of the good and faithful servants. In your Bible, if you're reading, it's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the gold, gold bags. How many of you think you've heard this parable before? Okay? If you've heard it, oof, it's a doozy. Okay? So Jesus teaches in parables. Parables are spiritual lessons to give like a, 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 a kind of a supernatural meaning, and it's hard to understand them sometimes. It would bother us so much to hear Jesus teach parables because one of the reasons Jesus teaches in parables is he wants people to keep following him. Right? We learn in our culture by saying, make this easy so I can pass a test. That's our learning style. And you know what? If, if, if you don't believe me, just ask your kids when they come back from school if they didn't do their homework. Well, you know what? It's not that I didn't study. It's that my teacher's horrible. My teacher didn't make it clear. And you're like, okay, let me, are you sure it's the teacher? Yes, ask my friend. You're like, you want me to ask your friend? Yeah, that's how this is going to work. We have a method for how we define good teaching. It was clear. I could pass the test. Move on. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. Jesus is like, this is not how this is going to work. You're going to learn by listening, by realizing that how you view things needs to change, and then tomorrow when you wake up and you're confused, you're going to come find me, and we'll talk. That's what parables are so powerful. And Jesus begins this parable by saying, the kingdom of God at the end of all time, when you think about God's kingdom coming, I want you to think about this wealthy owner who has three servants. And these servants are selected by their abilities. That should already bother you, because you're like, is there people with different abilities that are better than certain things than others? Yes, there are. And this owner decides that the one who's probably the best ability is going to get five bags. The other one's going to get two, and the other one's going to get one. And what's really, really important, if you're taking notes, you write this down. They are entrusted with something that belongs to the owner. Okay, we're talking about the kind of faithfulness that Jesus is going to emphasize that has to do with us being entrusted with something that God has given to us. What has God entrusted you with? Each person here has been entrusted with a taste of, or a vision of what, a bit, what it means that God's been faithful to you. I've been entrusted with a story of God's faithfulness. I've been entrusted with certain things that I have to learn to share about, to pass on, to encourage, to tell people about. And as I share about this, they will get a glimpse of a God who keeps his promises. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking with my wife about something, and someone came over. They were, had to do with, like, finances and business. They were talking about, you know, people investments and all this stuff. And this person was at our house. And when they left, they left us this manual. It's like a manual, like how to teach your kids about the future of investing in money. You know, that's what they left. And I thought, that's really interesting. I, and I thought about when they left my house. I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I went to people's houses to see them, and I left them a book that said how to teach your kids about how to die and know that they were good and faithful servants. Would people be offended? How many of you think people would be offended? 100%. But it's nothing at all to just say, I'm leaving you a book about how to make a lot of money. Why? Because the world measures certain things, and we're like, again, don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be wise. The Bible doesn't even say it's a bad thing to be rich. It's bad to love money. Okay, so the point is that I'm thinking that we are called now to live in a world and say, God, what does it mean for us to take what you've entrusted to us and to pass that on where people will understand that you are the faithful one? that you are the one who keeps his promises. 
So remember, the first thing we have to understand is that each of us, Jesus is saying, has been entrusted with something. Now, the disciples of Jesus have been entrusted with the understanding that Jesus is the hope of the world, that Jesus is the good news of how everything is going to change. They've been entrusted with this. And Jesus is saying to them in this parable that there's a, a wealthy landowner, and five bags, two bags, and five, two, and one. And this is what happens next. Very, very simple, super important. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Very important. Not next week, not two days, after a long time. All conversations about faithfulness has to do what you do when things take a long time. Faithfulness is about whether we're going to be committed to something when things change. It's so easy to be faithful to something that you're going to say tomorrow, sure. But as things change, as the world changes, as things take longer, as we wait, we're struggling with what do we do with what we've been entrusted with. We are living in a time where things are going to change faster and faster and faster in every generation. And we're wondering, like, how are we going to learn to practice this faithfulness that the Holy Spirit is producing in us? I know what it's like to be faithful when everything makes sense, but I don't always know what it means to be faithful when things around me are changing. And if we're not careful, instead of trusting God to help us to be faithful, we're going to be those who just kind of just decide, it's too hard, and I'm afraid, and I'm just praying that the Lord comes back. So I have my ticket to heaven, remember? That's what we're going to do. But the Holy Spirit is producing faithfulness in us. He's producing something in us that in this parable, you only see after a long time. And this word told happens next. The man who had received five bags of gold brought, brought the other five to the master. He said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and he has another five. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. There's this moment in the parable where the first two people come and double up what the master gave them. Now, that's one of the questions I had right away. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus tells us a bit about how they did that? How do we double up investments this fast? How does that happen? <laughs> when you pick the right people on the finance team, that's what happens. Right people on the finance team. We, we want to know that. And Jesus is like, I know you have that question, but that's not what this parable is about. We have all these other questions. But we're told that two people who are in this parable understand that one day they're going to give an account to the landowner who actually has entrusted them something that belongs to him. And one doubles it, and the other one doubles it. Now both of them do a good job. One brings five, now there's ten. One had two, now there's four. And then we're left with the one person. And this is where it gets really, really painful. And everybody who's listening to Jesus, they might have been talking or drinking or laughing or playing their banjo, whatever. And when Jesus gets to this point of the parable, they're going to be like, shh, shh, I heard Jesus say something weird. This is what he says. His master replied, this is the last person, who, the, the one who had won. He brings nothing back. It says this. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I had harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And the master says to the servant, give me what you have. And he takes it and he gives it to the person who made the most. And Jesus ends this parable. Ready for this? That the person who did not take what was entrusted to him and be faithful to that is thrown into a place where there's gnashing of teeth. Oh boy. That's why we have a lot of questions. We're like, what does that mean? Is that, that doesn't sound like a good place. This is one of the parables that you read about Jesus that you wish they would have not put in the Bible. 
Because you're like, what is Jesus trying to teach us? Now, Jesus is not trying to teach us all the answers about heaven and hell and what happens when you die. That's not what he's trying to teach us. It's a parable. He's trying to teach us how to be people who, when we die, can hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's saying to us. And he's saying to us that there's a kind of faithfulness that you taste that God gives to us because he's faithful, that then we ourselves, we want to be those who act and live in faithful ways. And if we're not careful, all of us think we're like the first two people, but really we might be like the last one. Where we have our own excuses that we make to God. The last one's excuse is like, you know, I was afraid, I wasn't sure. And the master says, you're a liar. You're lazy and you're wicked and that's the truth. But you think you can lie to God. Because remember, Jesus is teaching at a time where people thought that they could just trick God. That's what the Bible will say, God cannot be mocked. You can't trick God. You can trick your parents, you can trick your wife, you can trick your husband, you can trick your teacher, you can trick a lot of people. But one day, God's going to be like, I knew the truth. I entrusted you with so many things, and you did nothing. You did not pass on the goodness of my faithfulness. You did not share about the goodness of who I was. You did not tell the next generation about what this was about. You did not let the Holy Spirit produce faithfulness in you. And that grieves me, God says. Because we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can decide, I wasn't really concerned about faithfulness. I was more concerned about success. I was more concerned about my own things. The Bible tells us that there's a kind of faithfulness that is a general kind of faithfulness. And then there's a kind of faithfulness that is meant for those who have tasted of God's faithfulness. Think about this morning all of the excuses that you and I have made when God has called us to be people who commit our lives, our resources, our time, our gifts, our relationships to being those that say, God, in this week, how will your faithfulness, how will I get a chance to celebrate your faithfulness? How will I get a chance to model that when things get difficult, when things are overwhelming, I commit to my word and I'm going to be here and I'm going to do that? You know, if we took this seriously, what we would never need? A ministry partner form. Yeah, I said it. You can write it down. We would never need contracts and covenants and right here so we make sure you show up. We wouldn't need any of that because you'd be like, hey, hey, I don't need that. Holy Spirit producing faithfulness right here. I'm going to be here. I'll be here. Don't worry about it. I keep my word. Because we know that there's something about faithfulness that's been entrusted to us, and then we model that. We practice that, not just with each other, not just in church, but in our lives where people are like, I don't know if I believe in God, but it seems that, that you really believe in a God who keeps his promises. It seems like you really live by that. You're a person who keeps your word. You're a person who lives as if one day you will give an account to a God who will either say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he'll say to us, what happened with everything I entrusted you to? What happened with the blessings and the gifts and the things I left you? Did you think of those things as just for yourself? Or did you understand that the Holy Spirit was producing something in you to make you faithful? To trust in me when you didn't want to trust in me? To stay committed to this even when you were doubting and you had questions? And by the way, we are a church that makes room for that as well. Doubts and questions are not a bad thing. But there's a way that we handle those things and we still commit to being faithful. I love to think of myself as like the first servant. Most abilities. Or maybe the second servant. But the truth is, is that sometimes I'm like the last servant. I'm afraid. I'm not sure. I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared. All the time in my life, and I look at how God's been faithful, and God has reminded me, I've provided I was there. I cared for you. Just trust me. Just trust me now. 
just take a step of faith. I don't know what that looks like for you because all of us have different abilities. God calls us to different things. God, God might not call you to move your family and plant a church, but he did me. And one day he's going to say, were you faithful with what I, what I called you to do? Did you do what I called you to do? He's not going to ask us if we were successful. He's not going to ask us all those other things that the world thinks we should worry about. He's going to say, were you faithful? Years ago, I remember I was in, living in Ontario. I'll wrap up with this. And, I, and I, I, I did a funeral for a family. I had to do a funeral. It was kind of like somebody passed away. They were kind of overwhelmed. They're like, Pastor Dom, like, we just need help, you know. And I went with them to the funeral home. And in the funeral home, they had this book. And in the book, there was things that people can write on their tombstone. So the family was like, you know, I don't really know, you know, good father, wonderful mother, you know, just the look of things. And there was a section of, like, things from the Bible, you know, for different religions. And I noticed one from the Bible, and it says, well done, good servant. And I knew enough about the Bible to know that something was missing. So I said, why does it just say, well done, good servant? Why does it say, well done, good and faithful servant? So I asked about it. I said, I'm just curious, you know, maybe it was like, you know, it's too long, like, how do you write faithfulness? I, I don't know, like, it was just long, I don't know. They said, no, you know what? We kind of shortened it because the good and faithful part wasn't selling well. <laughs> Never forgot. I was like, fascinating. Everybody wants to die and to be known they were a good person. But Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is producing faithfulness in you. We're not just called to be good, although we should be good. We're not just called to just be friendly, although we should be friendly. Those who have tasted of God's faithfulness are called to be those who are good and faithful. We commit to being the people that God is making us into. And the more we act that way, the more we actually become like our God, who's always faithful. In a world of options, in a world of letting go, in a world of saying, oh, that doesn't matter, I'm going to do my own thing. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is producing faithfulness in us. And when we struggle, when we find it difficult, we know that the Spirit can help us to be those who are committed to this kind of life. Let's just stand as we close this morning. Maybe for some of you this morning, you think of uh, a series like this, and you just, you want to pray, you want to talk to someone, you need to connect and just maybe cry, confess. We're a church that really believes that the Spirit works through the Bible in a way that He brings to our attention things we have to deal with. And that's a good thing. And it's a good thing when we respond to those, that sense or that prompting. So for some of you this morning, there's no need to rush off. If you don't have to rush off, you want to pray with someone, we have some wonderful people from our prayer team that are just going to be in this prayer space here, confidential, if you just want to pray with someone. Maybe you can't do that, you want to send us a note, we'd love to pray with you and tell you more about what it means that we don't just worship a God like the gods. As you watch the Olympics, think about it. (laughs) All the gods and all the beliefs and all the things. No, no, no. We worship a God that says you now will be given the strength to be like me. I will transform you. I will make you more like my son Jesus. As the Holy Spirit produces in you fruit and the good news of Jesus multiplied around the world, Paul says. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a reminder that we have a faithful Father, that God the Father loved us before we could love Him, and that His faithfulness is something that should overflow in us where we, too, desire to be faithful, to model a type of deep commitment to the things you've entrusted to us. 
We thank you for the parables of Jesus that draw us into this conversation, that stir in us new questions, hopefully a deeper desire to be those who want to hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. I pray for those who are listening online or maybe catching this on a podcast who need to take that step and commit in a new way to this kind of faithfulness. I pray for us as a church that we would practice this and that we would not grieve you, Holy Spirit, who is producing this in us. Help us. Help us to remember how important it will be for the future of your church that we talk about, celebrate, and worship out of this promise that you are faithful and that we too can be faithful. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.